Well, good morning again to everybody here. Good morning to everybody up in the Well Cafe. Uh, it is good to be with you in worship. If this is your first time here, or maybe your first time in a long time here, uh, my name is Johnny. And uh, if we haven't met before, we'd love to meet you. Uh, and I'm one of your pastors here at First Methodist Mansfield. You probably should know that too. Uh, and uh, we are beginning today, as the video announcement said, a, a new series uh, called Legacy. It's a three-week series uh, where we're going to be looking at uh, legacies, and then we're going to be thinking about our own legacies. Now, uh, when we were looking at the calendar, and Pastor David and I were, were thinking about the preaching series that would be coming up, especially this preaching series that would be coming up here in July, we knew that in the life of our church, we would have gone through uh, a season where we would be celebrating the legacy uh, of our former senior pastor, uh, Mike Ramsdale, who had faithfully led this church uh, for 21 years. If this is your first time here and, and you didn't know Pastor Mike, that's, what, that's where we have been as a church uh, for the past several uh, months is celebrating this legacy that he left through a life uh, of faith. And we thought that this would be a very natural transition, a, a very natural thing to come from that season and to transition out of that season and to begin thinking about our own legacies and the marks that our life, uh, our lives leave on the world. So as we start thinking about legacy, as we start looking into this uh, three-week series, as we kick it off, as we, as we start it well, I want to start us with a very simple definition. Now this is one that I, I just wrote and it might change uh, as the series goes on, but here it is. Uh, the simple definition of legacy is this. A legacy is the mark that a life leaves on the world. Very simple. A, a legacy is the mark that a life leaves on the world. And we hear that word legacy. I'm sure uh, many people and faces come to mind. You're in church, so hopefully the name Jesus comes to mind, right? That's the Sunday school answer right away. We know that Jesus left an incredible legacy. That's why we are gathered here uh, today. That's partly why we're gathered here today is because of Jesus. It's an amazing legacy that was left behind. But I think of people like, I think of Abraham Lincoln, people that we build monuments to. I think of Martin Luther King and Susan B. Anthony, Mother Teresa. I, I, I think of these incredible lives that were lived, such great lives that are bigger than themselves, that leave a mark on the world, that transform and change the world for the better. That's what I think about when I think of legacies. Lives that transform the world through generations of people. And there are countless people. We could spend all day listing names of people who have changed this world. But I bet we also think of people like parents or, or grandparents or friends that left marks on our lives and left marks on the. They may not be recorded in a history book, but they had a large impact on our life and others' lives around us. So when we think about these legacies and we think about the marks that these people left on our lives and on the world, we begin to think about our own and the mark that we want to leave on the world. The mark that we want to leave on our families, the mark we want to leave on our churches and our communities, and eventually the mark we want to leave on the world, that this world is a better place because we were in it. The truth is, is that every life leaves a mark. Every life that is lived leaves a mark on this world. But our question is, is what kind of mark? What kind of mark are you going to leave on the world? Is it going to be faint? 
barely even there, live a life that we just kind of get through and uh, as Pastor David has said in his sermons, just take up space until we don't take up space anymore. Are our lives, the mark that our lives leave on the world, is it going to be more like a stain, a smudge? Or is it going to be distinct? Is it going to be clear? Is it going to be remarkable or transformative? This is a series where we begin to explore those questions and we begin to examine our own lives and the legacies that we want to leave. We begin to answer the question, what kind of mark are we going to leave on this world? And then we begin to think about the steps that it requires for us to actually accomplish that. What are the steps that we do in our life now? What are the, what are the ways we think about our life that help us accomplish that legacy that we wish to leave, that mark we wish to leave. So as you heard in the announcements that for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at some people from the Bible, some characters from Scripture, especially from uh, the Old Testament, uh, that will help us, that will help facilitate this discussion and this examination of our own lives and the legacies that we hope to leave. So uh, this week, we're going to be looking at Abraham. Now, if you're new to church, uh, you probably have heard of Abraham. He's a ginormous figure in the faith. So we're going to find Abraham and Abraham's story, or at least our part of the story that we're going to be looking at, in uh, Genesis chapter 12. Now, if you're new to church, you're new to the Bible, you got off real easy today because Genesis is the very first book in the Bible. It's the easiest one to find. It's right past the table of contents. There it is. And then all I have to do is count to 12 from there. Count the chapters up to 12, and you found our spot for today. Uh, If you do not have a Bible with you, uh, down here in the well, we have Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. Up in the well cafe, there's a, there's a shelf in the back with Bibles on them. Uh, if you're using one of those Bibles, you will find our scripture for today on page 17. Page 17. We don't often find uh, just two-digit page numbers in the Bible, but here we are, page 17. Um, use that. And if you're using one of those blue Bibles because you don't own a Bible and um, you didn't have one, didn't know how to use one, uh, we believe here at this church everybody should have a Bible. And so... If you need a Bible, if you do not own a Bible, stop by our connecting point um, right after service, and we will make sure you have one free of charge. We want everybody to have a Bible, so be sure to stop by there uh, if you need one. In chapter 12, we meet Abraham. Well, actually, we meet Abram, right? Abram was really his name here, but then his name changes later on. We're not going to get into that part, but we know God has a propensity to do that, right? When people have these big moments of faith, Their name changes, right? So we'll get to that later, but I'm just going to continue to refer to him as Abraham because that's how many people know him. And and technically, we meet him and his family in chapter 11, near the end of chapter 11. But really, chapter 12 is where the story begins, and it's where our story today begins. So that's where I want us to look uh, there in chapter 12. If you've been in and around church, like I said, for any amount of time, you know Abraham. He is a massive figure in our faith, but not just our faith. Abraham's legacy is currently directly responsible for the faith of almost 4 billion people worldwide and countless people throughout history. And when I say countless, that's not just hyperbole. That's not just because I'm lazy and I don't want to count them. That's because it is literally impossible to count the amount of people that have come to faith in God through the legacy of Of Abraham and the faith of Abraham. If you don't know, three of our major world religions honor Abraham as their ancient patriarch and founder in their faith and a model of faith. In Judaism, 
The 12 tribes of Israel trace their lineage to Abraham through his son Isaac and grandson Jacob. And he's a model for faith, an inspiration for faith uh, in, in their religion. In Islam, our Muslim brothers and sisters, he and his, uh, one of his other sons, Ishmael, uh, built the sacred site of Mecca, which remains one of the, most, the most sacred site for Muslims today. And in Christianity, he is our spiritual ancestor. As we see Jesus being uh, a Jewish, he's our spiritual ancestor. But for more than that, for us, he was the one that was justified by his faith. He's a model and inspiration. Uh, he's a model for what faithfulness in God means. Which is how his story begins when we read chapter 12 here. It's a call from God and a faithful response from Abraham. So let's look together there. Verse 1, chapter 12 in Genesis says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, or Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now, we read here uh, in this part, like we have nine words in our scripture passage for us today that are um, are mentioned, are referenced over and over again throughout our scripture. In fact, the rest of our Bible, the rest of the story of faith that we read in scripture probably hinges on these nine words that we see right here in verse 4. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. I don't know if you know uh, this, but in these times, and, and most of what we read through Scripture, it was not common. In fact, it was not done. Uh, when people grew up, they didn't just leave home, right? Leaving was not an option. We do that now. Now it's kind of a, a tale of success, right? When your kids grow up and they leave the home and they establish a home of their own, a job of their own, a place of their own, a life of their own, that's kind of, that's a success, right? That's what you are raising them to do, to be self-sufficient. You still want them to come visit. You don't want them to forget about you, but you want them to establish a life on their own. That is not so in Scripture. That is not so in Scripture. In fact, that was probably quite dangerous, it had to be a very extreme situation for a family member, especially a male child, to leave the home. Because their job was to be raised and to help uh, the family provide for itself and to eventually be the caretaker of their land and their home and the rest of the family. That was the job of children, was to grow up and remain at home. And yet, we have this call to do something different. You remember the story in the New Testament of, uh, that Jesus tells of the prodigal son, a beloved story that we tell over and over again about the endless faith, the endless love of, of God through this father figure. Well, there's the story of this, in that story, there's this one son, right, that receives his inheritance early and then goes off. And we often focus on the fact that the son really want his, fa his father to him was better off dead, right? I just need your inheritance now. I can't wait for you to die. Give it to me now. 
so I can go and live my life. When another part of this piece, and, and probably even the bigger, more significant part of this, is that he just wanted to leave. He didn't want to stay at all. Not only do I wish you were dead so I could have my part of the inheritance, but I don't even want to stay here anymore. I want to go. That's not the way things were done. But God is going to do something new in the world. God is going to do something big. And he needed someone with faith big enough to do this new thing with him, to step out into this thing that was not always done. I tell you this because I want you to know the significance of Abram's decision here to trust God. And you see in the way that God casts this vision for Abram that, that there's this vision for creation that required a person that was open and willing to adopt the vision, to say yes to it, and to remain faithful to it. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He was open to God's call and displayed his faith in God with the choices of his life. And I don't know if you caught this, but when you read, God doesn't exactly spell out to Abraham how this is going to happen. He doesn't say, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless you, and you're going to bless this entire world. Here's step one, here's step two, here's step three, here's step four, and eventually we'll get to step 1,000, which is when all people will be blessed in this world, and that's when we're going to be done with our work here. God doesn't exactly lay that out. God just says, I'm going to need you to go to this new place. And Abraham went. He didn't know exactly where he would be led. He didn't know exactly what he was going to have to do. He didn't know exactly how it was going to be accomplished. But he was willing to go. He said yes. He had faith. This is Abraham's legacy, this faith. This is his mark on the world that thousands of years later we have a billions of people on our earth right now that can credit Abraham's faith. And that's quite a big, that's quite a big and grand and great legacy. And it occurs to, occurs to me as I think about this legacy of Abraham, it occurs to me that all great legacies, big and small, but all great legacies have something in common. And it's that a life that is lived only for oneself is way too small. But a life that is lived open to the leading of God is something much greater. Let me say that again for you. A life that is lived simply for oneself is way too small. But a life that is lived open to God's leading becomes something much greater. The greatest legacies are left by lives lived for more than just themselves. The greatest legacies are, are left by lives that are lived for more than just themselves. I can say this a different way. When I come to faith in Jesus, when I make my life uh, one of faith, I, I, I have for many years mistaken that as inviting God into my story. And that's present in a lot of our language when we talk about our faith and our conversion moments and the moments that we're saved or the moments that we're baptized is that we invite Jesus into our hearts, correct? And, and, that's, and that's certainly very true. And, but I, began, I, I thought so much of my life, I thought that my faith was about inviting God into my story, inviting God into my life so that God could guide me, that God could comfort me, God could correct me whenever I wanted to do the things that I wanted to do. On my path, in my life, God was allowed to ride co-pilot with me, right? When in fact, 
a life of faith is actually joining God in God's story. It's not me inviting God to come be a part of my life. It is me joining God's story and participating in God's story that's been taking place long before me and will take place long after me. You see, we attribute this legacy to Abraham. But this isn't necessarily all about Abraham. The greatness, the blessing, this great nation, the timelessness of this story is actually God's story. The hope that we find that God is living, moving, and working in the world uh, throughout time, that is God's story. It's the faithfulness to that story that is Abraham's legacy. It's a faithfulness to live into that story, to abandon our plans, to leave home, to leave home, that is Abraham's legacy. And it's the sure knowledge that his life was not his own anymore. That God called him to something greater. And so he left. And century after century, millennia after millennia, we find lives touched by this faith. Touched by this faith because of his faithfulness to God's leading and this is still true today. We've mentioned it over and over again, how many people have put their faith in God, found their hope in God's vision for humanity and for creation because of the faithfulness that has come before them. The faithfulness that began with Abram here, but has been built upon time after time after time by life after life after life of faith. People trusting God with their lives and then giving them away to others. So this vision of blessing that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you might be true. But then I have days like Friday. And it might get a little harder to see that vision. There might be a temptation for me to abandon that vision and, and, and doubt the work that God is actually doing in this world. There are days like Friday when I wake up and I look at the sermon that I've written for the week and I was very proud of it and I had been very excited to deliver it and this is a new series and full of jokes and fun and, you know, shenanigans. And I look at it and I say, this is, this is not enough. And so it gets wadded up and it gets thrown in the trash and we look at a blank page again. And I begin thinking about the life of Abraham and the faith that we want to model, that was modeled by Abraham, that we want to model for others. And I begin thinking, how do we, how do we, just, how do we talk about that in the midst of this mess? I wrote two sermons this week. I wrote one and then I wrote another one on Friday. Because this week has been tragic and heartbreaking like many of you, of you, as news of this week continued to unfold, as we have yet again more instances of fear and hate manifesting itself in reckless violence and loss of life, as terror and division and racism and injustice rear their ugly heads, yet again a veritable bevy of emotions overwhelm me. And I know they did you too. 
And there's many things that I can do with those emotions. And we see many people try to handle these emotions. I can tell you my first instinct, if I'm, if I'm completely honest with you here, my first instinct when I have these emotions well up, when something like this happens, is to suffer silently with these emotions. To suffer silently with my emotions. You can, you can ask my wife, Holly, she's upstairs in the Well Cafe, that I'm not one that really likes to express my emotions often. I like to keep them inside and keep them quiet and process them on my own. And when they are in a nice, neat little package, then I'll present them out uh, for the world. But I don't really like to express them often. But the silence, the silent suffering of these emotions, the silence that I have here, or that I'm tempted to have here, is more than simply a lack of vulnerability. It's more than that. It's a paralysis it's a paralysis. It's an instinct to run away from those things that scare me and run away, run away from those things that worry me. And if I'm honest, that's a privilege that I actually have right now. That's something that I can do. I can run away from it. I can sit in silence. I can feel these emotions and never say anything or do anything about them. I can do that because I know that the color of my skin affords me the benefit of the doubt that is not afforded to my brothers and sisters with a slightly darker complexion. I am not deemed suspicious simply because of my skin color. So I can run away from this and be quiet. I can run away from this and be quiet and be silent because I or or any of my family members, we don't have to wake up every day and put on a uniform and a badge, and put my life at risk every day to protect the freedoms of people, some of which don't even want that freedom. I don't have to do that. My life, my job, isn't constantly scrutinized and criticized simply because of the color of my uniform. So that instinct to be silent is actually something I can do. There's safety in my silence. That's why it's so tempting. Maybe it's better that I do just remain silent or at most offer a general prayer for brokenness or healing. Because if I do speak out in support of Black Black Lives Matter or racial injustice that we see in this world, if if I speak up in favor and in support of these movements that are peaceful but firm in their cry for justice in the midst of injustice, I might be seen as anti-police, which I am most certainly not. Or if I speak out in support of our men and women dressed in blue, those that put their lives at risk every single day, that walk into the dark alleys of this world that I dare not go, If I speak out in support of them, I might be seen as anti-black, anti-unity, anti-racial justice, which again, I most certainly am not. There's safety in my silence because if I say nothing, then I cannot be misunderstood. But that is not a faithful response. But there's another part of me too. There's a cynical part of me 
that dips into despair in moments like these. There's a part of me that looks at the tragedy of Tuesday, that looks at the tragedy of Wednesday, and looks at the tragedy of Thursday, that looks at this and knows that this is nothing new. We humans invent new ways every day of being terrible to one another, of being afraid of one another, of destroying life. This is nothing new. And I look at all this and I'm reminded of Orlando that happened just not long ago. I'm reminded of San Bernardino. I'm, a, I'm reminded of the community college in Oregon, of Charleston, of Baltimore, of Ferguson, and, and countless others year after year and what seems to be week after week. And I wonder to myself, will things ever get better? Is there hope for things to be any different than what we see or seem to see every single day? Will things ever change? How long, O oh Lord, must we wait for your peace? This is the despair I feel. How long must, must we suffer this senselessness? How long, God, will we have to live in fear of one another? How long will we resort to hate and violence toward each other because of that fear, how many more children will grow up without their mothers or fathers or their brothers and sisters because of needless violence? How many parents will have their children ripped away from them? God, you better do something because we can't quite figure it out. Whatever we're doing isn't working. I wish I knew where you were. This is another instinct of mine to feel this despair, to sink into this dark place of fear that is afraid nothing will ever get better. Because just as things seem to be going right, they go all wrong again. On Friday evening, I had the wonderful opportunity to gather with several pastors, police officers, the mayor, and members of the Mansfield community to pray for unity and healing and peace, to pray for protection. And as we prayed together on the steps of the public safety building here in Mansfield, I thought in my mind as we prayed, I pictured the same people that I thought of in my prayers on Tuesday, in my prayers on Wednesday, and in my prayers on Thursday. This group of people that occupied my thoughts and my mind, their faces I could see as I prayed each of those days in light of what had happened. As we prayed together that evening on a Friday, I thought of all the members of this church who put on their uniform and badge every day. I saw their faces. I know their names. And my heart broke for them and their families, knowing that every day they put their lives at risk. And it seems that these days, that risk is increasing exponentially. I prayed for them, knowing that they represent, for me, thousands of uniformed men and women and their families across this nation who love our country and live every day to protect our freedom to keep us safe. As we prayed together there, there on those steps, I also thought of my son Charlie, 
I saw his face. And I said his name. My heart broke for him, knowing that as he grows older, that he and I will have to have some very difficult conversations. Conversations that all people should be having with all of their children about what it means uh, to have respect for others. But that the stakes for him are much higher than there are for others. Because even though we have come a long way in this country in terms of racial unity and justice, we still have a very long way to go. I prayed for him knowing that he represents millions of children and parents across this nation who want their kids to grow up with the same freedoms and benefit of the doubt that I enjoyed as a kid and as a young adult when I made stupid mistakes. I prayed for all of our homes. I prayed for our community, our nation, and our world as I know all of you have over these past few days. And though those other two instincts rise up in me in these moments, it's times like this on Friday night when I'm gathered with people from all over the community, people from all walks of life, people of all different shades of skin tone, people with all different uniforms. And when I'm gathered here on a Saturday night or on a Sunday morning with our church, with people of faith, it's in times like this when people of faith gather to lean on each other and to lean on God that I am thankful for the hope that I can find in my faith. There is hope. The hope that I have in God and that God is good and that God is working in our world right now. He is a God of justice and righteousness and peace and he is very real. That God cast a vision for Abraham for a future of blessing, not destruction. A future of blessing and not hurt. A future of blessing and not division. A future not just for him, but for every person on earth. A great nation of people that will be blessed because of his faith and that will be a blessing to the rest of the world. And I'm given hope in his openness to God's call and his faithfulness to participating in the fulfillment of God's vision. I am thankful for the hope that I find in a God that came to us in the middle of our mess, in the person of Jesus, to speak grace and truth to our lives and to bring us comfort in our dark times ahead. Just before he is to be betrayed and eventually uh, killed, Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you will find trouble. In this world there will be tough times, there will be dark times. In this world you will find trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. John chapter 16, verse 33. I'm thankful for a God that calls us to love each other. The Apostle John records in in one of his letters in the New Testament that perfect love drives out fear. It's not hate. It's not revenge. It's not anger. It's perfect love. And the fear that I have in me, the fear that rises up in me, the fear that I am tempted to give rein in my life to in times like this will not prevail. It does not get to win. 
God does. Fear does not get the last word. Love does. The forces of evil that seek to divide us, that seek to destroy us, do not get to win. They will not prevail. For there is a light that is shining in the darkness, and his name is Jesus. And we are his followers, and we are called to bring that very same light in the world. And I look around in our church, and I look around in our community, and I see people willing to carry that light into the darkest places. I'm thankful for the hope that is brought to us by God through people who have gone before us in this world, who have lived through these tough times that Jesus spoke about, but feared not because they knew that Jesus was an overcomer. They were an overcomer as well. People like Dr. Martin Luther King, who remind us in times of hurt and injustice, in times of anger, that our hope lies in God not in vengeance, and not in violence. He says this, the ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral begetting the very thing that it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor can you establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. And so it goes. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night that is already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Finally, I'm thankful for the hope found in the vision that God gave the Apostle John. A vision that might mirror much the vision that was given to Abram. In the beginning of our scriptures, we find in the very end in Revelation, a new vision that is given to John that is a hope for all of us. That says there will be a new heaven and a new earth where there is no more death. There's no more suffering No more pain and no more tears. There is no more racism. There are no more snipers. There's no more hate and no more murders. There's no more. For God says, I am making all things new. So today as we have gathered together in worship, I know we've all brought our different emotions, our different degrees of effectiveness by this, but we can gather here as people of faith with a sure and certain hope that God is with us and will never leave us or forsake us. And as we remember Abraham, we remember God's vision for humanity, a vision for blessing. And we remember a faith that left a legacy that far surpasses a single life. We remember the lives lived throughout history built on that legacy of faith, with a faith of their own. And we remember the hope that we find that can only come from God. A hope that fuels that faith that is in jeopardy in moments of despair. So this first week of legacy, my prayer is that we embrace the faith that has come before us, founded in the hope of God who loves us. And my prayer is that though we may not know exactly how, 
or where God is leading us, that we are open to that leading. Because our faith is about joining God's story, a story of hope, and a story of transformation. I know in the beginning of this sermon, I said that a legacy is the, is the mark a life leaves on the world. And that is very true, but the way that that mark is made is from one life to another. The way the world is changed is from one life to another. And that means that our lives are not our own. They belong to God, and they belong to each other. So in mornings such as these, we don't know what our next step is. We know that God calls us to peace and unity, but we're not sure exactly the steps we need to take to make those things happen. Know that Abraham didn't either. But he did know that God had a vision for our world that was greater than, than what it is. That he called us to be faithful to that vision. So I know that every day, at least right now, my life is about healing. And my life is about peace. For those that I see and know around me, those that share a house with me, those that I meet on the street, those that look different from me, those that have a uniform that's different from me, a heart of gratitude and unity, unity is what I'm called to be now. When we think about the legacies that we want our lives to be, the mark we want to leave on the world, know that it begins with a commitment to faithfulness and to living into God's story, which makes our lives so much bigger. I want to close uh, today uh, by praying together as we usually do, uh, but I want to pray together a little differently. Uh, in times of like this where I struggle with words, there are people that are much smarter than me, that pray much more eloquent prayers than me, that have come before and um, have prayers that have blessed people, many people, uh, year after year. One of those prayers is the prayer of St. Francis. On um, Friday, we opened up our sanctuary for people to come and pray, pray, and Pastor David had that available for those that lacked the words, that needed the words. I think this prayer is beautiful and expresses the very thing that we hope to be, which is an instrument of God's peace. So I want to close us today with this benediction. We're going to do this upstairs as well. Uh, I'm going to have the words of this prayer on the screen and I'm going to ask us all to stand and recite this prayer together as our benediction and as our commitment to live lives outside of ourselves in tune with God's vision for the world. So will you please stand with me? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again to eternal life.
Great God of heaven, hear our prayer. Use us, God, for our lives are not our own. They are yours. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Go in peace.